0: Alright, the, the, I'm going to tell you that what I'm arguing before I argue it. And that is that I want to focus on verse 1 here. And there, the the definition, and I am taking it as a definition of faith, Calvin will say this is not a definition, uh, but I think it is a definition of faith. And the other thing that is at stake is, do we read this, uh, let me give you three different things and tell if you from the translations uh, that I'm giving you see if you can tell whether they're thinking of faith as something that is subjective or something that is objective now faith is the assurance of things hoped for would that be subjective or objective assurance It would be subjective, right? It's an, uh, an internal assurance. Uh, faith is the substance of things hoped for. That Can you
1: explain?
0: Okay, so substance, friends. the idea here is that one of them, they're going to focus on an internal or interior thing. Okay. On the other, they're going to say that faith is a participation in an objective reality. And so there's two very different ways of reading this verse. Uh, Calvin is one who would read it from a subjective idea. You know how we always say, well, it's all in your head. Uh, That would be a way of understanding faith, that it's primarily internal or interior. Uh, But what I'm going to argue is that from the history of the word and from what we've done in Hebrews, uh, as to the nature of the faith of Christ, what we're describing is an objective reality, and it's an objective reality that you can only get at through faith. In uh, Neoplatonism, the the word and I, here I'm just uh, I'm using the, the TDNT, the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament. I did jump around a little bit, but uh, to bring home the point, and obviously. There is a, a bit of a fallacy here. We, won't, we don't want to put too much weight on one word. But I think we've <laughs> got to figure out what the word that is upostasis, upostasis, the word that is translated assurance, confidence, substance. Uh, so in the TDNT and Neoplatonism, they'd say this is a reality, which is brought forth by another and higher essentiality. And yet it is also clear that one must still insist on uh, uh, ascribing to an ultimate hypostasis. And this is the key word here in the Greek. Hypostasis is going to become a key philosophical term. And even in the discussions of the Trinity, they're going to just talk about the interrelation between the trinity as a hypostasis. And so whatever this word is, whatever it means, you know, you've heard the hypostatic union, the union of uh, the essence of things, that's, that's, it's the same word. Uh, in, in a general usage, we could say it's the resolution behind the visible deployment of force. Uh, it's the chief reality behind, I'm just reading from the TDNT here, behind phenomena. It is what we would call plan, purpose, concern, not in the sense that this is present only theoretically or conceptually, but in such a way that it is actually present. In another context, we find the meaning that it, upostasis is, an, they're talking in architectural terms. That it's an unfinished temple or tomb, and he said, this only makes sense is if Upostasis is taken to be the total plan of the royal tomb or pyramid. So think here in terms of a reality that is set in place that may not, you know, it's partially manifested. Uh, so in and he they reference a temple in Sicily, and they talk about the plan, the upostasis of the whole temple, as this may be seen from completed parts compared with similar structures. So you can look at the reality, the plan, the structure of uh, the temple, and then see, you know, from a part, see the whole. Uh, The the meaning is roughly the same as total plan, basic conception in accordance with concrete phenomena and acts that are to be appraised. The word is used in astrology and it means the reality of life present in the constellation at the hour of birth. Yeah, this is... uh, In the Septuagint, then, you know, the Septuagint is the Greek version of the Old Testament, so these would be, they would have translated particular Hebrew terms, uh, and in Job 22.20, they say it denotes immovable property as opposed to movable property which can be destroyed by fire. Uh, It can be used as uh, in, in this sense, because property is understood, you know, if we looked at the passages like Judges 6-4 in the Job passages, talked about as the basis of existence, the property or the earth as the basis of existence. In a whole series of other instances, the, the Greek uh, meaning is uh, the reality behind phenomena. I'm saying all this, I'm giving you this history because I think that what we often have in interpretations of faith is that we imagine that faith is something that falls short of reality or it's a, you know, something that's just in our head. Mm-hmm. But you go through this history of the word and what we get at that it is a, a, a reality, it, it's, it's almost an ontological reality in reference to the, the cosmic plan. And so that faith is a way of getting at this reality.
2: Would you say that reality is like what Alec described for devotion?
0: Uh, remind me what you're thinking.
1: Like just like a completely alternative experience of living and caring for one another? It's like a...
0: Yeah, yeah, I think, I think that's exactly what it is. I mean, I'm making a strong claim here. On the basis of the, the word, and again, you know, we, I think the word is, it's not simply that I'm making the basis on the etymology of the word, but because the word has, there's been violence done to this word. And, and I think it goes over and against the meaning of the word as it's commonly used. And what word is it? Upostasis. And the idea... Uh, in the book of Hebrews? In the book of Hebrews, where is it? in verse 1 of chapter 11. It is either the conviction, the assurance, or the substance. And that in different translates translations it will translate it differently. The significance in the different translations is that some translations seem to be lending weight to the idea that it's simply an interior thing. And this is the way Calvin is reading all of chapter 10 and 11. He's going to read chapter 11 and faith as if it is simply uh, uh, an interior understanding. What I'm arguing is that it's an objective reality.
2: Well, it is. And, And the thing is, it says by it, the men have all gained approval. So the faith system is a system that goes all the way back to the patriarchs. We've always been in a faith system. A faith system is good. When you say faith system, it like it captures
0: a a lot. No? Yeah, and I think, and I think as soon as we, I, I, I may be focused too much on this word in this first verse. As we do what Gary's so saying, we worst. we we expand it. Uh, it'll talk about that. It's only by faith that we can acknowledge God. Well, God is the ultimate reality, and so clearly it is. It is not simply. I think the idea of faith here is that we have access to ultimate reality only through faith, and that it becomes a reality for us through faith. Now, what I this this is a, is a huge claim about just the way we know stuff. In other words, I don't think this is just Christianity. I think this is everything. That the only way we have access to any knowing is in and through a faith system. This is our worldview class, you know, that that the way we know things is on the basis of our belief system, whatever that belief system might be. And of course, the difference would be that in a we, we believe in Christianity that we have ultimate access in our belief system to ultimate reality which is God Um, let me give you a couple of psalms that seem to they use this word in the Septuagint and the word here you know that man has no foundation of his own before God except through faith remember what my span of life is Psalms 89 for what vanity you have created in all the sons of man, what man can live and not see death can he deliver his soul from the power of Sheol? Uh, let me give you one more. That is the idea here is that death and, and as Gary's pointed out, that in this history that we're about to do, I believe there are two epistemological that is frames of knowing that are being set forward one frame of knowing would be to say that death is an ultimate reality the other frame of knowing would be to say that resurrection and resurrection faith is a frame of knowing Uh, I think that you can set all of, I would make a huge claim here that that just describes this world's systems of knowing, that they're either grounded in in some way in death as a reality and essence, or they're grounded in life and resurrection life. This is ultimately the big claim of chapter 11 of Hebrews. It's really a claim about uh, how we know. And not just as Christians, but how anybody knows. And I think it's ultimately a claim uh, that there are two systems of knowing. One of resurrection faith, and the other that is controlled by and subject to death. I mean, that's the whole point in Hebrews, right? In Hebrews chapter 2 and other places, that we've seen that it is the fear of death that enslaves us to the devil. And that is a frame of knowing. That is a a frame of servitude in which in fact you fall short of the ultimate reality which is God. And then the alternative to that is knowing Christ and throughout actually up to chapter 10 of Hebrews we really when we've been talking about faith we really haven't been talking about our faith There's a few places, and I'll come to that in a minute. But it's mainly been talking about the faithfulness of Christ. And the thing that I've been arguing about, the faithfulness of Christ that we take up in our faith, is that what is at the center of that faithfulness is his faithfulness in the midst of suffering and death uh, that, you know, evinces in resurrection, in bodily resurrection. That is the faithfulness of Christ is the model for what Hebrews 11 is setting forth as resurrection faith. By by the time we get to the end of this, which is actually the beginning of chapter 12, Christ is pictured as the faithful one. In other words, he's the apex of this list. Uh, Let me give you another psalm. This is Psalms 139. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret and skillfully wrought in the depths of the earth. Your eyes have seen my unformed substance. Substance there is the the same word that we have here. And so the substance of what we are is something that is known by God before it even comes into existence. It's the underlying reality behind something. It's the plan or purpose that ultimately God has for things. That's my argument about the word. Now let's look in the New Testament. Actually, there's only five occurrences of the term substance, or and uh, two of them are Paul, and I won't deal with them. But they're dealing with First Corinthians. He's taking up the offering, and uh, he's saying that I, you know, he's saying about this confidence, or I have, you know, this, uh, uh, this hope or plan, and I know that it'll be true. But it mainly is a word, three of the five times is the word occurs in the book of Hebrews. So really the whole argument rests, I mean, there's a sense in which our understanding of this term in this verse is going to depend upon our understanding of how we've interpreted the rest of Hebrews. So in 1.3, the son was stated to be the very image of God's hypostasis. I don't think that one's hard to get, right? The, the hypostasis of God, the substance of God, is a direct reference to reality. In 3.14, believers are said to be Christ's associates if they hold fast the beginning of their hypostasis firm to the end and this is where some you know, this is really we have the same problem in this verse that we have in, in chapter 11 what is what is this thing we're holding firm I think it is the objective sense or the real essence as opposed to what merely seems to be in the latter place it has this, you know we could talk about a subjective element but to reduce it to subjectivity, we're ignoring the history of the term. I believe we're ignoring, even here in Hebrews, where hypostasis is talking about the hypostatic union of God himself. So that what I would say is, well, while while we can talk about a confidence or assurance, but this is not just a false confidence. There is the term in some translations in chapter 11 that will talk about the certainty of faith. I don't know, That's the big thing we did in philosophy. Can we be certain of anything? No. And some would say, well, you know, this, this is the big argument in modernity. This is the argument about foundationalism. How, how can we be certain of anything? And what has been argued by René Descartes is, you know, I think, therefore I am, and then he's going to argue that we can be certain on the basis of pure reason. I think that stands over and against Hebrews chapter 11. Can we be certain about ultimate reality on the basis of pure reason? On the basis of what? On the basis of reason alone, apart from faith. I think no. I think that, and, and I think ultimately, this is the failure of the modern system of knowing this is the strange thing that Christians have tried to do they you know when we talk about modernity and Christianity I don't think those two things go together because modernity is based upon this notion that we can have access to reality through reason alone imagining that reason taps in uh, you know in the cogito, and, you know, we've done all that in philosophy. There's a failure of modernity. And I think the alternative is Christianity. And I think this verse gets at it. Here is an alternative system of knowing. Uh, that is that we know on the basis of faith, We, you know, faith uh, is that which seeks understanding. It certainly uses reason, but reason needs faith as its ground. Uh, If we
1: could know everything without any kind of faith, then one, people wouldn't be wrong all the time, like, everybody is just constantly wrong, like, you know, it's just a part of life, of learning and growing, and why would we need, what is the purpose of God, I don't I don't understand why like we would be God then.
0: I I think ultimately that's the that's what develops in in deism and then ultimately in, in atheism is that in some way we've set ourselves at the center of the universe and imagine that knowing begins with us. Right. Yeah. And so what we're saying is well no actually we don't know we don't have the resources for knowing. Within ourselves, it's not a it's not a repudiation of reason, nor is it what is called fideism. Fideism, the idea, oh, we just believe because we believe, but it's an acknowledgement that reason is built upon faith. The way that Luke Timothy Johnson puts it, since faith defines a life based on what is not seen, rather than what is seen, it here thereby also becomes a proof in the very lives of the humans who live by it, of the reality of the unseen. And the writer here is going to use the example of we have faith in, uh, you know, the creation ex nihilo. We can't see that, but how do we know? Well, it it is a faith position. So, it is based on the vision faith brings that gives hope that life will be other than what it is, other than uh, you know, that requires that, in a sense, it requires that we're dissatisfied with what you're describing, Sharon. Sure. So the substance of faith, unseen as it is, makes itself known. That is, how do we know this thing? On what basis do we know? Well, I think it's, as Gary is saying, it's this cloud of witnesses that have gone before, but ultimately it is the faithfulness of christ that we are co-participants in the reality of faith is stab established i think we could even say as a as a counter reality you know he's going to talk about persecution and loss and ultimately suffering and death in chapter 11 all these people suffer these things suffering death you know that persecution that would seem to be a kind of counter to the reality of resurrection faith.
2: And then Calvin, you're talking about Calvin, right? You're,
0: At the beginning, yeah.
2: Um, he he believed that the Lord gives give to the to the elect. He gave them faith. You had to be given faith so you could believe. It wasn't something you could do within yourself. I don't agree with him
0: yeah both Calvin and Luther Luther not so much, but they're both uh, this is a key passage in in define in making a division between a and I, I would say that this is not five point Calvinism. I would say this is evangelicalism. I think that most evangelicals, up to and including many people in non-Calvinist churches like the Christian church, are actually thinking of faith more in a Calvinist sense than they are in the sense that I'm describing it. Um, so the way that this is done is through you know, the, this powerful litany of the faithful that he's going to describe, but he's going to conclude it with the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. And you know, here, uh, you know, the, the, the thing that Jesus has done, uh, he has been the faithful one, he has been made perfect, he has, uh, he has done this passing through suffering and death to resurrection, um, and we are then to consider him as uh, Jesus was faithful to the one who appointed him. So here is the faith that we participate in. We're told to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. Um, so my point again, that it, this is Richard Hayes. But this isn't Richard Hayes, this is Hebrews. <laughs> right? I mean, this is the book of Hebrews. The, what is faith? Well, it's the faithfulness of Christ before it's anything else. It's not, you know, it's not something that we create whole cloth. So, the, but in chapter 11, we shift from the faithfulness of Christ to our faithfulness, or our faith, uh, and Jesus then uh, is the pioneer, the perfecter uh and the, we've talked about that he's the priest who saves through purification and perfection. What's impurity? Does everybody remember? What's the impure?
1: Oh, it's, this was your life and death Moses lesson thing. Yeah. And it's the anything basically in the pointer zone to
0: death. I think but. so. And so he's been made pure. He's been perfected. Because he's been, he's put off the orientation to death. I think the death and resurrection is thematic here. Um, Perfection is a fulfilling, a completion uh, that, you know, is brought about through the bodily resurrection and ascension of Christ. He's made perfect through his obedient suffering. And this then is the basis of the perfecting of the believers. Uh, we we follow him. We take up our cross and follow him. Well you got Jake. Perfect. Oh okay. Um uh, faith is a hypostasis.
1: Can you please define hypostasis? Well that's
0: what this whole thing is about.
1: Hypos- I'm yeah. under yeah. like hypodermic lemon.
0: It is a substance, it is the essence, it is the reality. Uh, hypostasis is foundation, substance, confidence, possession. It's a reality, that's what I'm getting at. Which was added, you know, it is the, uh, it is the foundation of hope and charity, Luther, of course, he wants to separate faith from any works or any deeds, and so he's going to try to separate it out. But I think here, no, faith is the foundation. Are we foundationalists? Well, we're not foundationalists in the sense of René Descartes or modernism, but I think what's being described here is a foundation in Christ. I think that he is our foundation. Um... So, uh, I talked about that literally in architecture, it is a foundation. Uh, The the hypostasis. Uh, That may be the sense of under. It's that thing that undergirds something. Uh, It is, uh, the Attridge translated, it is the reality of things hoped for. What
2: does that mean?
0: So faith enables us to encounter and appreciate reality and participate in that reality. And I would say, I would say this is a counter-foundationalism uh, which to those which would imagine it need not have, that, that they, you could do. You know, this was, who was it? Uh, uh, John Locke, am I misquoting here, that says faith is that which falls short of reason. No, faith is the foundation of reason. Augustine interprets it as wealth, hypostasis uh, or faith rather I'm I'm sorry, possession when you hope you do not yet have what you are hoping for but by believing it it uh, you resemble someone who does possess it faith renders hope substantial I think literally we begin to participate in an alternative reality Faith is the present substantial possession of that which we do not yet have in full. The Syrian bishop in Theodoret in 393, 457, he says, Faith depicts for us in advance the resurrection of those still lying dead in their tombs, this is the theme here in chapter 11, and causes the immortality of the dust of our bodies to become evident. This makes good sense in that we are told throughout the chapter that the hypostasis, those who exemplify the hypostasis, the certainty, the assurance, the reality, died without receiving the promise, but they died in hope largely because of resurrection, right? So the theme of resurrection death runs throughout here, and resurrection is decisive, you know, in the the various lists, that Abel still speaks even though Cain killed him. Enoch tasted death but still lived. Abraham and Sarah were as good as dead. Abraham received Isaac back, though, as someone from the dead. So what is the substance, the essence of this reality? Uh, it is this uh, faith, it is the resurrection faith, you know. That the women received their dead by resurrection, uh, they were waiting in order to obtain a better resurrection, the resurrection of Christ. So when we say Jesus is the substance of faith, because he endured the ca- cross, he was raised, he has taken a seat. Chapter twelve, verse two. Enduring, yes. What? Where were you quoting, Gary?
2: For the joy set before him, Jesus endured the cross, despising the shame, and then sat down at the right hand of God. Is that twelve? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's cool. Because you know, there's a lot of shame in the cross. And
0: And he defeated it. Right. And you can link shame. Complete the sentence with death. Right.
1: Yep.
0: <laughs> <laughs> throughout throughout Scripture, we can rel- we can connect shame and death. Shame is what it feels like to die.
2: Yeah, they said the first thing was said in the Bible. One of the, one of the earliest things was, "Why did you hide from me?" And they said, "Because we were naked and shamed." And then on had to deal with
0: that. I think. And it used to be in the early church when they would baptize you you would strip naked because you're now naked but not ashamed I don't agree <laughs> I don't think we should do that it was uh, just,
1: just at the baptisms right? Yeah. Just just at at the the ba- b- yeah they also did like a series of exorcisms didn't they they had like preparation stuff and they fasted for like weeks on end and Yeah. yeah a little bit more chill That's you
2: know we talked about this before, Paul. It's interesting that Jesus sat down the right hand of God, but when Stephen, the martyr, was stoned, he said, "I saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God." So Jesus stood up mm-hmm. when, when he uh, when he became. They say he was the first martyr. I don't know, but he wasn't martyr.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: That that was always significant to me that yeah. Jesus stood up.
0: Yeah. the thing that I've, I've been describing here it's a very simple concept that the early church got and somewhere we lost it I'm just saying that faith is foundational the faith in Christ is foundational uh, you can't there's nothing that becomes uh, before faith faith is you know, another way of putting this it, it is the presupposition with which we begin it is the confession that is the foundation of all else that we do and believe. It is the means of accomplishing anything in this world. The example that you know, early church fathers used, by faith farmers a sustained, uh, also sustained for the one who does not believe that he shall receive a harvest is not going to endure the work. Our little garden, you know, you don't, you you plant a seed in faith, believing that something will happen. I must admit, I was not... Mm-hmm. I didn't believe very strong. I, uh, yeah. Stick the little <laughs> seed in the hole. Uh, there's nothing going to happen here. Okay. And then it's amazing. You go back there and you look at all the plants. It's not always
2: immediate, is it? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Never is. Huh? The
0: faith we have, the things like that, it's
2: not always immediate. It has to... It's sprout... Take
0: a while. It's en- an enduring faith, and that is thematic. Yeah. Uh, maybe I've said enough, but you know, you could go through the early church fathers went through child rearing; they went through you know all sorts of things. Talking about well, it's all about faith. Everybody, everybody believes. You know, the pagans are going to say, well, that uh, well. they also depend upon faith in certain things. Aquinas defines faith, he says it's the habit of mind by which eternal life is begun in us, making the intellect to assent to things which are not apparent he uses the example of Thomas after the resurrection what he saw was the humanity what he believed in was the deity the divinity of Christ I think that's the thing you know we could see miracles. We could see. We could walk with Jesus, but that doesn't necessarily get get us to faith. Or, or you know, faith is the leap, or the leap is the wrong word, maybe, but it is the the thing that gets us beyond material, mundane, ordinary reality.
2: Well, and you have to remember why the book of Hebrews is written. I don't know if Priscilla wrote it or Paul wrote it or John wrote it or Bill wrote it, I don't know. But I believe it was acclaimed by the early church. The I, canon. I, it was canonized. Mm-hmm. Warnings to falling away. And uh, I think, and I just think that, of course I would never fall why Peter
0: say I never do that? Yeah. No, Lord. Luther I I said this and actually Jason listened to my recording. He said, wait a minute, Luther thought James was the epistle of straw. But actually Luther thought many books in the New Testament. He questioned whether they should be in the canon. Uh, you know, Revelation, Second Peter, uh, James, and Hebrews. Why wouldn't Luther like the book of Hebrews? I think it's because of what we've just talked about. Because faith, then, is not something cut off from an embodied reality of love and deeds and other things, but faith is is sort of the it, it is foundational to all of those things. Faith is not something simply internal, but faith is the embodied reality and you know we participate then in the reality of who God is. Faith without
1: works is dead.
0: Faith without works is dead and it was precisely because of that verse that Luther said, James is an epistle of straw. So, let's stop there. And um, Sharon, you want to read verse uh, 1?
1: Now faith is the assurance of the things hoped for and the conviction of the things not seen.
0: <laughs> so, does anybody have a different translation? I
2: do.
0: What do you got, J- Jake? You got all of them. I
1: got all of them. Let me pick a different one. She's just ready. because the Nasby sisters the not I got substance.
0: Hey, right, has got substance. Confidence. Confidence. The evidence of
1: things. Evidence. Yeah.
0: Mine says now faith is being sure this is the NIV of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Can we be certain? This no. is
2: trick question.
0: Well this is Wittgenstein's last book, Uncertainty, right?
1: I don't think so. <laughs> Yes you do. That's where we're on. Now, so. Huh? She's
0: not <laughs> Uh, what he argued I think in the end is that there, there is no certainty in modernity on the basis of reason but certainty depends upon paradigms what he called language games what he called forms of life I think what Wittgenstein is coming to is an understanding of Hebrews chapter 11 1 By the way, he was in the process of becoming a Christian of some sort. I think that this is the verse that stands behind a confessional understanding. You've heard of post-liberalism. What's the difference between post-liberalism and, you know, fundamentalism and liberalism? I think it's this verse because it is a kind of confessional understanding that we begin, and by the way, they're reading, they're very much uh, Lindbeck and Hans Frey. Give me Hans an Frey?
2: Of, uh, confessional understanding?
0: That we begin with the confession of Jesus as Lord. Yeah. Uh, and we begin with an acknowledgement of the authority of the deity of Christ. That. Uh, in other words, a confessional understanding uh, is an acknowledgement of the deity, lordship, authority of Christ. And from there then, you can begin to talk, you can reason. And, but you, you cannot get to the death and resurrection, you can't get to the crucified Messiah on the basis of reason. It's
1: starting at the it's starting here and talking about the rest of it rather than talking about all this other stuff to try to get to the same point.
0: Yes. Of who Jesus is. What is the foundation of our faith? Paul will say I know Jesus and him crucified.
1: Well, this is kind of what Bart does, right? Like, I've read a little bit of his dogmatics and outline. He has a section on epistemology as faith, or faith as epistemology. Yes. And it's, it's essentially we... I, I feel like I'm just repeating what you already said, but it's essentially we come with the understanding that Jesus is the Lord, and then this tense and colors our understanding of everything else inside of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like presuppositional of that. Because if it's true, then... This ought to be the way that we, we
0: come to it. Yes, and that's Hans Frey, George Lindbeck. They're all reading Karl Barth, and they're reading Ludwig Wittgenstein, and they're reading the New Testament. But what they are doing, they're rejecting. In other words, they're all trained. Karl Barth's trained in theological liberalism, and all these guys, they're they're all at Yale, you know. Fry and Lindbeck are all at Yale University, and it it is kind of the end of modern period. Now, whether they whether they worked it all out and they had it all correct, confessionalism I think is just a description of the early church system of. I think that's just where we start. Yeah. Well, I didn't
2: understand what you were saying about Thomas. What did you say about
0: that? That when Thomas saw the resurrected Jesus. You know, Jesus said, put your hand here on my side. Feel the... And, and he did that. And then he says, my Lord and my God. So he moves to seeing the resurrected Jesus, but it's only through faith that he acknowledges that he's deity. Yeah.
2: You know, one thing we remember, Thomas, we call him Thomas the Doubter, mm-hmm. but we forget that he said, he, he, he called him Thomas the Daring, too, because he's the one that said uh, that they were going in Jerusalem and he knew what was going to happen to him and Thomas said let us go with him that we might die with him
0: he was prepared
2: yeah you know? I mean, it would be just as easy calling Ta- Thomas the, the Daring
0: <laughs> alright good point shall we go to verse 2 it's, go ahead and read 2 and 3 2 is just an introduction to verse 3
1: Through their faith, the people in days of old earned a good reputation. By faith, we understand that the entire universe was formed at God's command, that what we now see did not come from anything that can be seen.
0: Can we understand material reality on the basis of material reality? It
1: doesn't give an explanation for
0: anything. It doesn't explain itself. And that's just everything. Can you understand, what if you, you know, we live in the show me state. What if you insisted, I only believe things that you can show me? I believe you'd be the biggest ignoramus there
2: is. (laughs) Uh, It's all right as long as you, as long as you, like Tom said, he said, show me your wound, but he also said, let's go Mm -hmm. intrusive
0: with him. He took up faith. Do a -a -a -a
2: -a 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 dual thing.
0: So I mean, uh, if if I told you about a strange country where they have these creatures that are called marsupials, and they hop, and they have little pouches that they keep. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Have you ever seen Australia? But we all believe it. Yeah, and they all walk upside down apparently. Gosh. Oh, Okay, I'll... Um.
1: i begin with the bad jokes. I am going to say, prove it. Yeah. Well, I don't believe that until I see it.
0: Yeah, I'm not going to believe it unless I see it.
2: Did any of you guys see that movie? No. It's a Portugal show. Mm-hmm. Is it good? Yeah. Yep. That's, that's what he said. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's off
0: the <laughs> I think that we can say that about most things, that we wouldn't believe in history or anything. But anyway, the, the, certainly the notion of creation ex nihilo, which he's arguing from, that the universe has been, what is ultimate reality? What is the essence of all reality? I think it is the the idea of the word of God that we do not get at. It is the essence, the the... Uh, reality is the Word of God. That is the Hypostasis.
2: Now, what's that word you're using? Hypo-
0: hypostasis.
2: That's different from pistis.
0: Pistis is faith.
2: It's faith. Yeah. Okay. I didn't know if you, had a, you were using a derivative or
0: no. It's the word in Hebrews that we that we we've been working at the having to do. Uh, with certainty, assurance, or substance. Yeah. All right, and then verse 4, Dave, you got it? Sure. Just 4? Well, go ahead with 4 and 5. It was by
1: faith that David brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man and God showed approval of his gifts Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. It was by faith that Enoch was taken up to heaven without dying. He disappeared because God took him. For before he was taken up, he was known as a person who pleased God.
0: In each instance, it's connected to death. Abel's blood, you know, Jesus says, cries out to us. Uh, that his faith is in some way, even though we're not talking about resurrection faith yet, we're still talking about an orientation that defeats death. Enoch is taken up. He, we don't know what that means exactly, but in some way, uh, his faith is has overcome.
2: Didn't I say, didn't I? He
0: says it he did not experience death. I guess that, in a sense, resurrection faith is one in which death is not an experience of enduring, an enduring quality for any of us. And we'll end before I lose everybody here. Uh, Faith, you want to close with verse 6?
2: And without faith, it is impossible to please God
1: because anyone who comes to Him must believe that He exists and that He rewards those who earnestly seek Him.
0: Can you believe that God exists apart from faith? Apparently not.
2: You know, we always think uh, Abel's sacrifice was was accepted because it was a a meat sacrifice and blood sacrifice. Cain's was a vegetable. And that's that's not what this says. It says because Abel approached him by faith. And that's what made this offering acceptable. Mm -hmm. I understand the argument. If it typifies Christ, it can't be... It can't be... Uh, whatever, he, whatever it was Cain gave, but... No, I don't think that was the problem. The problem was that Cain didn't have the faith that with did
0: And that's the writer of Hebrews. And all, it's all about faith that we please God. <laughs> Okay. We have another time of prayer
2: after
0: Mm -hmm. this. Yeah, yeah. Does anybody have? I know. I'm sorry. I I ran it in the ground for everybody, but what? uh, I
2: didn't.
0: didn't. Oh, thanks, (laughs) Alan. I got I got excited about this because it was a kind of a discovery for me in doing this the uh, uh, especially I just looking just reading the TDNT and just looking at the word and I know that's not fair you don't determine a doctrine in and through etymology but I think the etymology supports and under the understanding with which we've been reading Hebrews mm-hmm. okay. uh, I like how you drew out the resurrection logic
1: throughout chapter 11. Like, it was a brief little snippet in there, but just the... Um, that's the logic that's going alongside of faith throughout the the, the chapter and, and exposing what God's action is. Um, just the whole logic set that. I, I don't know how to phrase it. It was cool. I'll,
0: I'll make it a... I mean, throughout this, and... I think we could draw a tree and and just sort of connect everything that we've talked about, not only with Hebrews, but with the New Testament, that I think we're describing a reality of salvation. I'm not saying that we've just, but we we can understand this is a practical salvation. The way that we tend to think of salvation or faith is kind of a magical thing. I believe, I believe, tap my heels twice. And I'll be transported back to Kansas. But the nature of the faith, that was that was a reference right? there. The, uh, <laughs> uh, the nature of faith is such that it stands over and against the, the deep-rootedness of sin. It is resurrection faith because sin is an orientation to death. And I think that comes out in this chapter. Well, I disagree.
2: Yeah. Oh,
0: yeah. Go ahead, Gary. No, no.
2: It's just that faith <coughs> means a lot more than just that word faith. It's two things. It's it's you believe in your mind and your heart that something is so you believe with your head that something is true, and then the second part is you believe with your heart. You believe so completely uh, that you, uh, you believe so completely that prayer is not a, not a burden. Reading the words not a burden. <coughs> Or anything like that. Um, so, I guess <clears throat> I fell with the translator sometimes because I don't think I don't think faith does peace, justice. You know, I think it's yeah. translated a little bit better than that. But I, I
1: but it wouldn't sell the Lebani Bible, so you don't have it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Actually, the word trust would probably
0: sell more. Trust.
1: Yeah, that would probably sell more. I know so many people could be like oh that's what the word means this is great it's so much easier can you speak up please I think the word trust would come with less baggage and more people would actually buy that but trust is a better word. yeah yeah. it makes more sense yeah to people outside of Mm -hmm. Christian or that grew up in the church you know like you don't really use the word faith in your everyday life
0: okay everybody happy oh,
2: good.